0: Prayer is simple enough, yet it is in the normal experience of the disciples of Jesus to struggle to pray. We know that we should pray. This morning, I don't need to preach a sermon to tell you to pray. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know you ought to pray. We know that we need to pray, but so often we don't pray. We struggle to pray and then wrestle when we begin to pray. How many of us have not kneeled our knees or bent our heads to begin to pray and find our minds wandering with all the things we must do today? If I forget to do something, all I need to do is to pray. Because it seems that when I begin to pray, I remember of all the things I need to do. And so what I found is often keeping a notepad by my side because as soon as I begin to pray, I remember all the things that I need to do that day. Friend, we are not alone in our struggles. It has been from the beginning that disciples of the Lord Jesus struggled to pray. Consider the early disciples who came to Jesus. They didn't come to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, teach us how to turn water into wine. Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. Jesus, teach us to do great things for God. What did they say? They so said, Jesus, teach us to pray. He said they, they had been around Jesus to know long enough to know that the power that Jesus exercised was through prayer. He would often go quietly into the night or early into the morning to pray. The one true and living God found prayer important. And this simple request to learn how to pray has echoed down through Christian history. You could open up a Christian historical book. You could find a big figure in Christian history. And I guarantee you that that person has wrote a book on prayer. Because Christians struggle to pray. Even the Apostle Paul confronts our struggles with prayer. In Romans chapter 8, he writes that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Friends, this morning, let's just uh, get the elephant uh, and deal with him. You don't pray. I don't pray enough we all struggle to pray whether it be to pray for serious matters to pray when things really get tough we struggle to pray we are inconsistent in our prayers we have a desire to pray yet those desires are never met with reality and friend i want to encourage you this morning that you are not alone We all struggle to pray. But if we are to pray, if we're to be a praying people, it begins by confessing that we don't pray enough. It begins by us humbling ourselves and saying, We need to pray. You see, pride is the reason why we don't pray. Pride in ourselves, our own abilities, our own power to navigate life, to get through difficult situations, our own wisdom. The Apostle James said that that if you're navigating difficulty in life, you need wisdom. And and all you need to do, he says, is ask God and and he'll give it to you. How many times have we wrestled with difficult decisions yet not asked for biblical, godly wisdom? Friend, this morning, Let our request simply be this. Let our posture of our heart simply be this this morning. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray, Lord. With that in mind, I want us to turn here to Matthew chapter 7. Now, the Lord has been teaching us through the Sermon on the Mount how to be disciples. The Sermon on the Mount is, is really about how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And early in the sermon in chapter 6, Jesus taught his disciples what to pray. In the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples Prayer, we teach the content of our prayer. That is what we are to pray. And this morning, we're not not so focused on the what, but the how. Here in chapter 7. How to pray to our Heavenly Father. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. Jesus says, Ask How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask Him? This truth, this truth is pretty simple and straightforward. Christians are to persist in prayer. When we think about the how to pray, persistence is a key component to how we're to pray. Christians are to persist in prayer confident that their Heavenly Father will give them good things. Confident that our Heavenly Father will provide us good things according to His sovereign and perfect will. Now this morning, before we get in, we always have to disclaimer a few things. And because we have carnal minds and sinful hearts and we're often tempted away, I remember a number of years ago sitting under a sermon where, where the preacher got up there and he was a he was a literalist. And, and maybe that's you this morning. Oh, I read the Bible literally. OK, well, let's apply it literally then. Um, if I ask anything, Jesus says he'll give it to me. Well, that literal translation isn't what Jesus is actually saying, friend. And so this morning, if you are tempted away and your mind is beginning to think of some big yacht that you need in your driveway um, or some new car. Uh, or some new thing that you need to spend on yourself, that is not what Jesus is talking about. All right? So let's just get that out of the way right now, and I don't need to spend any more time on that, because Jesus here is talking about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and friend, I'm pretty sure, I'm not real intelligent, but I'm pretty sure that when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he does not have in mind your beachfront property in Florida. All right? That's not what he means. He doesn't mean your vacation spot somewhere. What he means is his kingdom is coming, and you need to be on the front lines of that kingdom through prayer. And so, the purpose of our time this morning is to t- to really to teach us some theological truths about God, because I'm convinced the more you understand who God is, that will propel you to pray. You see, if you know your God to be good, right? you're going to go to this good God and ask for good things. But if you don't think God is going to give you good gifts, you'll never never ask Him for good things. And maybe this morning, you don't know the goodness of God because you've never asked Him for good things. Maybe you you don't pray this morning because you've never experienced the goodness of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that's where the goodness of God begins in our lives. So this morning, I want us to think together, how do we pray? Well, thankfully, Jesus teaches us. We see in verse uh, verse 7, rather, that Christians pray with persistence. That we pray with persistence. That is the character of our prayer. Secondly, we see that Christians pray with confidence. That's the attitude of our prayer. A confidence, not an arrogance, not a prideful, arrogant God owes me something, but a confidence that our God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And thirdly, we see that Christians pray with childlike faith that our God is is not merely a deity in the sky, but he is our heavenly Father, and we are his children. And all he is inviting us to do is ask. And it's simply that to ask to ask this morning so let's look at these three points this morning first verse 7 Christians pray with persistence notice what Jesus says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you Jesus puts together these three words in in a real memorable way doesn't he ask seek and knock you have to remember that Jesus is communicating to his disciples orally they weren't sitting there on the hillside with their their bulletins in front of them taking notes, but rather their minds were being affected and and their minds were were being informed. And so Jesus would often use uh, these these couplets or these three parts that go together in order to to remember. It. And maybe this morning you've read this passage and you remember it. Ah, oh, ask, seek, and knock. How we know? Follow it. If we ask, then we write. Receive. If we uh, if we seek, we find it. If we if we knock, it's open. And Jesus uses this helpful imagery to to teach his disciples that we are to persist in prayer. The language that that Matthew records for us is is in progressive kind of aspect. In other words, we could say it this way. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. In other words, the picture that Jesus describes here is one of ongoing action, not a one and done action. You know, that's, that's so often our experience, isn't it? Some need arises in our life and and we have the wherewithal to actually ask God for help. And and so we say, Hey God, I really need help in this matter. Have a great day. Amen. And that's the end of it. But what we see described here is one who asks, one who seeks, and one who knocks. One who is persistent. Asking is one who comes to God in a posture of humility in prayer. Do you understand that actually asking God is a posture of humility. Do you, do you understand that not asking God for something is a posture of pride? The reason why we don't ask is because we don't need. James chapter four verse two. I, when I read the Apostle James, I kind of think, man, like how much did his brother like beat him up on this point? Um, because he has a lot to say about this. You do not have, he says, because you do not ask. In other words, we could say Jesus, we could reverse Jesus that way, just like James does. If you don't ask, you won't receive. Read it again. Look there, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Say it this way. If you don't ask, it ain't going to be given to you, right? If you don't ask for something, you don't get it. My kids do this all the time to me, right? They come whining for something. I'm like, all you got to do is ask, right? They think I'm like mean or something, I guess, um, just ask, and I'll give it to you, right? As Jesus illustrates r- later, right? If a child asks for something, man, we just like melt, right? We just have to ask. But not only that, we have to seek. Notice the language Jesus is, seek and you will find. Well, Jesus used this verbal idea a number of times, hasn't he? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or, or all the way back in that first beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, that's that verbal idea of seeking after, longing for, desiring. Their minds are captivated by whatever they're asking for. They're seeking it. Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't saying they're just wondering and seeking it, you know, in some sort of new age way through hugging trees and, and praying to plants. But rather, seeking it from the Lord. There is a persistence. I am going to keep coming back until you answer my prayer. We could say it negatively. You can't find something you're not looking for. Isn't that true? If you're not looking for something, well, you're not going to find something. In other words, if you're not seeking an answer from God in prayer, you won't find that answer, friend. It's really that simple. Do you have something in your life, some uh, big need in your life, some Need for wisdom? Are you seeking God in that? Are you just sitting idly by? Thirdly, we see there in verse seven: knock, and it will be open to you. Knocking is is a kind of a picture of perseverance, isn't it? One who's knocking at the door—it's like they won't leave me alone. They keep knocking. Of course, Jesus will use this illustration later in in the Gospels to describe someone who's outside banging outside the the house, wanting someone to come in. And and you say, you get out of bed and you go and you answer the door. Perseverance in prayer. And we're going to deal with this here in the next uh, section here in just a a minute. But uh, perseverance in prayer. Doors don't open to those who don't knock on them answers to prayers open doors and prayers don't ask don't 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 open if you don't ask God to open them right it's it's see how simple it is to follow Jesus sometimes we make it real hard but Jesus is making it real simple for us this morning all you got to do is ask your God and he will do it according to his sovereign purpose and his good will as the apostle paul would write to the church in ephesus that we are to pray at all times in the spirit With all prayer and supplication. He says to to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You see that correlation between perseverance and supplication. We are to persevere in prayer. This morning, the question I have for you is, friend, do you pray? When you pray, do you persist in prayer? Do you persist in prayer? Are you just simply a one and done? Or do you come back again and again and again and again? Seeking, knocking, and asking. This is the posture of the believer. One who's persistent in character. Persistent in attitude. How are we to pray? We are to pray with persistence. We are to keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. Secondly, we see in this, and how we are to pray, is that Christians are to pray with confidence. Look at what the Lord says in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Notice what he says. He says, if you ask, you're going to get an answer. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock on the door, it's going to be open. Jesus says there is a result to your perseverance. That Your persistence leads to something. When you are persistent in prayer, it leads to a sense of confidence that the Lord will answer. Now, sometimes the Lord doesn't answer in the ways that we often desire. But the Lord answers. The Lord answers. And so persistence, we see, leads to answered prayer. When we ask, God answers prayer. If we are persistent in it. Look here again. He says, ask and you will receive. Do you go to God with such confidence when you pray? Do you just say, I think my prayers are just hitting the ceiling this morning. Or is a sense in which there is a faith in the way you ask? Do you believe? Now we are infected often by uh, a false theology uh, called the wor- often called the Word of Faith movement. It is a it is a heresy that teaches that you just name something and you claim something. All right, that is not. That's a dangerous theology. That is that is a heresy that has kind of unfortunately infected much of the church and and many parts of. The world. Jesus is not teaching here uh, this naming and, and claiming theology where all I need to do is ask and I will receive, like some sort of formula. If I just you know, press this button, then comes out this other thing. That, that is not what Jesus is describing here, nor is our approach to God. Uh, that is an arrogant approach to think that our ask is what God's will wants. That's arrogant. But we still must have faith. And you remember the, the devil masquerades as an angel of light, right? He takes, he takes truths, half-truths, and makes them. he tries to make them into whole truths. And so there, there's a truth that we have to have faith. We have to have confidence. We have to believe that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Friend, do you believe that or do you not? Is your God just sort of wimp and, and uh, weak and limp? Or is he able to act? Is God sovereign or is he not? Is he in control or is he not? And so we approach God in prayer with confidence. This is why Jesus will say to his disciples, if any of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done to them by their Father in heaven. And so faith is a component of our ask. We want to come with confidence and boldness. And persistence in prayer, knowing that God will answer prayer in his perfect timing, according to his perfect will. We seek, secondly, here in this particular particular verse, that persistence leads to knowing God better. Seek and you will find. Isn't that a great promise? If you seek after the things of God, you will find them. God isn't just holding these carrots out in front of us and then removing them from us. If you will seek hard after God, you will find him. You will know God better. Prayer is a means to know God more fully. To know that we ourselves are unable to act. As Jeremiah uh, reminds us, you will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart. Friend, do you seek after God through prayer? Do you see that prayer is a means of God's grace to know him? This doesn't mean that you're going to receive some new revelation from God or that God is going to speak to you in some audible voice or you're going to receive some some message from God. Well, God told me to do this or God told me to do that. Not at all. But rather, with his word and with prayer, you have the tools to know God's will and purpose. As Calvin reminds us, reminds us, nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we will be heard. Man, if you believe that God doesn't hear prayer, you won't pray. But if you believe that God, the eternal God, the one true and living God, the creator of the cosmos, not only hears your prayers, but actually has the ability to answer them, well, then I bet you'll pray a lot more. And so it seems to be what we need to focus on is knowing God better through prayer so that we would pray more. You see how it works? It's like a building block. If you start small, it builds big. Because as soon as you start tasting of the goodness of God through prayer, you can't get enough of it. And so you pray more. See, so often what happens is is we hear, oh, man, Christian saint so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Man, they pray three hours a day. And so we're like, all right, clearing the calendar. I'm praying three times a day. And you won't do it. We get discouraged. We have to start small. We have to start with the right aim. That if we persist in prayer. We will know God better. Thirdly in this section. We see that persistence leads to participation. In the Father's purposes. Knock and it will be opened to you. What will be opened to you? The will of God. God's purposes in your life. If you will pray. Your will be done. On earth as it is in in heaven. Again. We're not praying for our own selfish ends. Jesus has already taught us what to pray. Earlier in chapter 6, he says, pray this. All right? This is what I want you to pray. It's real simple. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, pray that God's purposes, his will is done. All right, Jesus, I got it. I'm praying it. I'm going to pray that persistently. When you do that, you will find yourself participating in the purposes of the heavenly, your heavenly father. You will find yourself actually participating in God's goodness and grace. A couple illustrations of this. First, one New Testament scholar writes this, but for all the necessary caution that is about Word of faith stuff and about not asking for yachts and all that other stuff. There is an openness about verses 7 through 8, which invites not merely a resigned acceptance of what the Father gives. Listen, but a willingness to explore the extent of his generosity. Secure in the knowledge that not only what is good will be given... So that mistakes in prayer through human short-sightedness will not be rebound on those who pray. In other words, Francis is saying that the more you pray and the more answers to prayer you receive, the more you will pray. Because you're like, man, I'm going to, all right, the door's open. How much is the Father going to give me? What kind of good things does the Lord have? Do you ever think that way? I find sometimes Baptists, we're so grumpy and so grouchy. We're kind of like, oh, that's, that's, we'll leave that to the Pentecostals to ask crazy things for God. No, like, like seriously, we need to start being honest about the way we approach God. Do we believe in a big God? Well, let's ask big things of our God. Let's see God do great and good things in our life. John MacArthur says it this way. Prayer is the means by which God invites wisdom, infinite power, and perfect, his perfect purposes are brought together to accomplish his will. Listen, I love what he says. He says, You cannot enjoy the goodness of God in this life without participating in his unfolding purposes through prayer and through your service to him. In other words, if you want the good life now, then it is through prayer. And through no other means. And in fact, if you're, you're grouchy this morning, it's probably because you don't pray. Think about that for a minute. You don't know the good things of God because you don't ask for them. You don't seek them. You don't knock on the door for them. Abraham went before the Lord before and, and pleaded with the Lord that he would save a wicked city, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, he persistently, he, he went again and again and again and again, begging, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? It, it, I don't know if there's like 45 people, will you spare the city? Yeah, I'll, uh, And he goes all the way down. He, he's just looking to intercede for Lot in that particular moment, his, his nephew. But he was Persistent. He didn't just say like, oh, 50 people and it's, it's, it's done. No, he went back again and again and again. Friend, that is the character we want to develop in our attitude in prayer. Keep begging, keep knocking, be persistent so that we can participate in the goodness of God. Friend, do you approach God with confidence? Do you believe that these promises that Jesus gives here in this verse will come true? He is promising you something this morning that you can claim, that you can believe in, that you can come humbly before your God. And not only humbly, but confidently knowing that he will supply our daily need. This is our God. I promise you this morning, he will not leave you nor forsake you. This is a promise that you can depend your soul upon it. We are to pray with persistence. We are to pray with confidence. Jesus makes clear that it is only those who ask that receive. And so the final point we see here in verses 9 through 11 is that Christians pray with childlike faith that we ask big things of our big God. Jesus uses here in verses 9 through 10 an analogy that all of us can relate with. An analogy from everyday life, a, a normal human experience. Look what he says. Which one of you, if his son comes to him and asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Jesus uses this illustration forever. I mean, if your children come and ask you, if, you, if you're, you're like me, we tend to go over and above for our kids. Our kids ask us small things and we do great things for them. Our kids ask us, and and Jesus says, listen, on a normal basis, and and there are, you know, there's exceptions to the rule here, right? There are some pretty wicked people out there in the world. But but on a normal basis, if a son comes and asks his father for a piece of bread, he doesn't hand him a stone and say, hey, son, go lick on this. Or, or, or if he asks for a piece of fish to eat, it doesn't give him a serpent that will harm him. In other words, what is the point? A father doesn't give a son things that harm him, but only things that are good for him. And Jesus will make a correlation here. He'll say, and so it is with your heavenly father. In other words, Jesus makes clear that this instinct that is natural to the human experience That parents want to do the best for their children applies to your heavenly Father. And there's a point I want to make. That sometimes because we have crummy earthly fathers and crummy earthly mothers, that we project that on our heavenly Father. And Jesus here makes clear, no, 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 no. Listen, even in an unbelieving world, God still shines through as the most benevolent and the most kind And that God will care for his adopted children. And therefore Jesus makes this point so abundantly clear. That we should expect good things from our God. It is not wrong to expect good things from our heavenly father. No more than you would expect your father here on earth. Or your mother here on earth to give you good things if you ask. You would not find it unreasonable. If you were to ask your father or your mother for a piece of bread or or something to eat, that they would just throw nothing your way. No, you would expect it. And so we should expect it. How much more is an argument that Jesus uses often a a lesser to greater argument? Notice what he says. Look, if y'all are evil and know how to do these things, how much more, he says, how much more? will your Father who is in heaven give you good things? Notice the parallelism that Jesus presents here between good gifts and good things. Both of them are good. And describes them here as, as things, as gifts. One author wrote this, The provision of good gifts is probably a reference to wisdom and guidance supplied in the response to repeated requests. The teaching as a whole stresses not what we get, that we get everything we want. In other words, we're not a bunch of spoiled little brats, but that God gives the good that we need. Do you see that God's good, that God's gifts are good? Have you ever, when you've read James, noticed what he did? I I tried to kind of subtly point it out to you this morning, uh, but I'll make it a little bit more explicit here. He begins with trial and ends with every good and perfect gift comes from. You ever notice that? You know what he's doing there? He's teaching you that trials are good gifts from God because of what they result in. And that sometimes we miss the goodness of God because of the pain we experience. But God sometimes wants good through pain. Friend, how did he save you? How did he eternally save you? What good thing did He do for you? Well, it went through something bad, didn't it? It was through the wrath of God poured poured out upon His Son. The suffering of His eternal Son is how you were saved. God saves through trial and tribulation. It is through judgment that God prunes us. as, As the Apostle Peter says, that we are refined like gold refined in fire. And so it is through trial and suffering and difficulty. That God gives us good things. He gives good gifts. Meaning he gives what is best for us. Not necessarily what we think is best. You know, so often we we get frustrated because we think we know what's best for our lives. But then there's God's way. And that's the best way. What good things has God given you in your life through prayer? I, I remember just... Six years ago, I would stand here in this pulpit week in and week out and pray that God would raise up godly elders and godly deacons. At the time, I was the only pastor elder. There was no deacons in our church. They had all run away, good, bad, or indifferent. Probably good they ran away, so I didn't have to run them away. But anyways, God in his goodness, week in and week out, I prayed, led this church to pray. And lo and behold, God gave us good gifts. God answered our prayers. He he gave us good godly men to shepherd and and deacons to serve because God answers prayer. Friend, do you humbly expect good things from your good God? Consider what the Apostle James says in James chapter 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions friend what are you asking for and do you believe God will give it to you we ought to approach God with a childlike faith knowing that our God loves us that he will give anything for us what greater gift could he give us than his own son that he has already given us he has already given you the greatest gift imaginable to humanity Believe he will give you good things, right? The great Welch preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones remind us, reminds us that man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. It's a reminder that all of us need to be childlike beggars in prayer. Pleading, God, if you don't answer this prayer, I have no bread. To eat today, you are my only supply. Friend, do you know of the goodness of God through answered prayer? Have you received good things from the Lord in the past? What prevents you from continuing to ask Him today for good things? In every relationship, we have certain benefits we receive. Everyone, we have benefits. For example, from our spouses, we receive a companion a trusted advisor, a friend who gives us godly counsel, who supports us even uh, through thick and thin. Or perhaps from a godly friend. In that relationship, we receive godly counsel and wisdom, an ear to cast our cares upon. In every relationship, there is some benefit. But what about in our relationship with God? What benefits do we receive from knowing the one true and living God? Well, God says here, that we receive good gifts if we ask for them. Our Heavenly Father, friends, is ready to pour out the storehouses of heaven if we would only ask. Brothers and sisters, let this simple truth not be lost upon us. If we persist, if we go confidently by faith, God will answer your Prayers, let us go with humility, yet confidently. Let us go assuredly that our God is good and gracious. Let these instructions be upon our hearts, not only on the Lord's day, but throughout the week. However depraved we may be, no no, matter how difficult life may be, we need to simply ask and our God will give. John Bunyan reminds us of this truth as we close. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. There's a lot to do in this world, isn't there? There's a lot of responsibilities that Christians have. There's a lot you can do after you've prayed, he says. But Bunyan goes on and says, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Friends, it's simple truth. Prayer is our first priority. Begin your day and end your day with prayer. Let prayer be upon our lips for the glory of God and our eternal good. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that we would be people who pray. Forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive us for doubting the goodness. Forgive us. Father, teach us to pray. Jesus, may we be people who pray. Pray persistently. Pray confidently. Pray with childlike faith, believing that our God will do far more abundantly than even our biggest ask. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.